If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So, Ed, we are again out here. Well, not again. We have been out here. So we just recorded an episode about charity and social justice. Mm -hmm. And we were making the point that this may be the last time we get to record at the Secret Compound this year because it's dropped down to a bone chilling 50 degrees in right. the, with sunshine and which required you to go to your jeep and get your puffy jacket right well i was in arizona visiting family for like a week right and i acclimated within you know when you step off the airplane onto the jetway and there's that little distance that little space between the yes you know, i acclimated right there, there as i go. could feel that like that warm air so we are out here and we'll see. I mean, I don't know how many more like layers of puffy jackets you could wear, but this may right. be the last time we record outdoors. And I will say to anyone who's listening out there, you hear us talk about the secret compound all the time, but I have placed some photographs of the secret compound Ooh. on the website Ooh. to entice people to go to the website. So if you have often wondered <laughs> what the secret compound looks like, right. if you go to consideringcatholicism.com, and you go to the About tab, you right. will find some photographs of the secret compound, and you can see what right. it looks like out here. Wow. And then while you're there, you can visit other parts of it. Like, there's, you can see all the episodes, and you can see right. them categorized, and, and you can leave a review, and you could even support the podcast, which go. we would appreciate. Right. So. Anyway, anyway, we are going to do the second of our conversations today, and you've got a doozy, I think. Yeah, this is something I want to talk about the Crusades. Oh, this goody. Was, this is something that invariably comes up if I get into a long enough conversation, or even a short one, right. with Protestants or even non-Christians. Right. I was talking to a friend who is, I don't think she's a Christian, it's a while back, and she said, well, sure, it looks like this religion or that religion is violent, but then there were those crusades, so. Right. And so you're just a bunch of fighters too, and it doesn't matter. Right. And this is brought up specifically as a knock on the Catholic Church. Well, they were just out cutting people's heads off. To, right. And I had, a, I had a Protestant friend say to me last year, he said, all they were doing is just going around killing every, everyone who they didn't agree, who didn't agree with right. them. And there's all this misinformation and mythology surrounding it and i've even wrestled with it there was jesus when he was arrested peter grabbed the sword and cut the guy's ear off and right. jesus said no 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 don't do that so that the impression is that christians and the catholic church everybody should just be peace loving and mm. let everybody all that mm. you know where i'm going with that yeah. so it's i would like to, not only to understand it better but as yeah. i talk to my protestant friends i would like to have right. something smart to say <laughs> about this. <laughs> All right. The Crusades. My goodness. So when I was in college, I majored in medieval history. So I have been arguing about this for 
a really long time. I don't want to say how long ago as I was in college, right. but it was back when the police were still a right. band. Right. <laughs> so, I still think of them as those new guys. Yeah. Yeah, they're right. Yeah. So in any case, I've been talking about this most of my life. And I want to say, just to preface this whole thing about the Crusades, that I think it's real important to say up front that I don't want to say you disavow, but you want to say, look, I understand that people are very sensitive about this. Right. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to explain why I think a lot of what people think they know about the Crusades is, is wrong mm-hmm. or a myth, but I want to acknowledge people's feelings that okay. I think that people have very strong feelings about this based on how, what they understand. And, I think just sort of cavalierly dismissing that and saying, well, you're all just wrong. You know what you're talking about. Right. Comes off not well. Right. So I understand based on what people have learned about it, that it is uh, a very sensitive topic. Be that as it may, let me now try to disavow or at least talk about some of the, the, I think, myths associated with the Crusades. And so let's start with this, what the Crusades were about. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the myth that often goes, and I was hearing it when I was a college student those yep. many years ago, yep. is the idea is, well, the peaceful Muslims were living in the Muslim lands, just doing their thing in their ancestral homelands. Right. And then a bunch of Catholics, like the Pope, organized a bunch of these, these Catholics, particularly these knights, Right. And a bunch of bored fighting men with horses. <laughs> bunch of rich guys. Bunch of rich, bored fighting men to go over and colonize, to seize the Muslim lands and colonize and expand, right? Okay, that's not what it was about and it's not what happened. The first thing to understand is that Islam did not come around for 700 years after Jesus. Right. Okay. So the prophet Muhammad and and the rise of Islam is is 6 700 years after the time of Jesus. So to say that these were Muslim lands, right? They were Christian lands before they were Muslim lands. And I'm not going to get into the whose land it is, but just hear me right. out if you're listening. So the notion that these were like peaceful Muslim lands that somehow the Catholic Church decided to seize or colonize. What these were, were when you start talking about Jerusalem and the holy sites uh, in the Holy Land, right. Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, right. and Nazareth, where he was raised, and right, Jerusalem, right. and you know, where the cross was, and all this kind of bit thing. These had been Christian lands for, for six, seven hundred years. So, the the Christians had built churches in them. When the Roman Empire converted to Christianity, a lot of those churches that when you go to Israel now, you see the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that's built over, for example, the tomb of Jesus. You see all of these kinds of things. Those were all built in the 300s. Okay, okay. yep. And they, from that time on, and even before that, 
Christians had made pilgrimages to these lands because people wanted to go back and see Bethlehem. They wanted to see where right. Jesus was born. They wanted right. to see where Jesus died. They wanted to see, right? They wanted to go to the Garden of the Gethsemane. They wanted to see where the resurrection took place. They wanted to go to the all these holy sites. And there had always been, from day one in Christianity, pilgrimages to the holy sites. When Islam arose, the first Muslims that came into what we would think of as Israel or Palestine today, preserved access to pilgrimage rites and access to the holy lands, the holy sites. Okay. So even in the 700s when certain like Muslim political leaders and the Muslim caliphate sort of took over, they understood that these were ancient pilgrimage sites and they were open to... Christians and Jews being able to visit them. Okay. Okay? Yep. So from around the year 700 to around the year 1000 for 300 years, Christians from around the Roman Empire, Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, everything else, traveled on pilgrimage to these places. What happened around the year 1000 was that a new group, political group, came in, which were the Seljuk Turks. Okay. Okay. So this was a group uh, from Asia that came into what we call Turkey. That's why right. they got be called Turkey because okay. they were the Turks before it was Turkey. So the Turks came right. into Asia Minor, and the Seljuk Turks took over, and they adopted a policy of banning Christians, uh, and in many cases Jews, from visiting the holy sites. And when that came back to Europe that no longer could anyone go on pilgrimage and that the holy sites had fallen under the control of these Asian Seljuk Turks who were banning people from the places that they'd visited for a thousand years. There was this notion of going on crusade, this military campaign, to, number one, regain control of those places, and number two, to preserve pilgrimage access to them. Okay. Okay? There wasn't much in Palestine or the Holy Land that was valuable. Okay. Like, the time, it wasn't like it was, there was a lot of gold or plunder or rich agricultural lands. Right. It pretty much just had the holy sites. That was its value. And what the Crusaders wanted and what the First Crusade was about was seizing control of those places, particularly Jerusalem and some of those important holy places, and then preserving the rights of pilgrims to visit them. Okay. And because they had fallen under the power of the Seljuk Turks who were banning them, there was going to be a fight. Okay. And so the first crusaders who went over went over, and there was a fight. And it was, swords were drawn because civilizationally, I mean, it was the Middle Ages and that's how things were decided. And by the way, anyone who wants to say, hey, things were brutal in war back in the Middle Ages, but they're different now. I don't know if you're watching the news, what's going on in Israel and Gaza right now, but war has been brutal for a really long time. But the first crusaders went there with a very specific objective, and that was regaining control of Jerusalem and the holy places and guaranteeing access to pilgrims. And the first crusaders came over. They were largely composed of these Norman knights. So these are French knights yeah, yeah. and they were pretty, mm, I'm going to try to think the right word, like pretty tough dudes. Yeah. Right. 
and they had spent a lot of time fighting in Europe and they were really right. good at it. And so they came over and they hit the Turks pretty hard. You had very experienced French fighters and Norman fighters and people from other parts of Western Europe. And they very quickly won some battles and got control of those places. And then they built some crusader forts and they began to restore the ruins around some of the holy places, built some churches, and then they guaranteed pilgrim routes. And so, in fact, you had several orders, religious orders, Catholic religious orders that were military religious orders, like the Knights Templar and the Knights Hospitaller. And what their actual purpose was, was to provide protection and care for pilgrims who were traveling from Western Europe to want to visit the holy places. So that was kind of the first crusade. It was not an attempt to conquer ancestral Muslim lands. It was specifically to regain control of Christian sites that had fallen under the Seljuk Turks. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of the first myth I want to, I want to burst. The second one that you hear a lot about is, and I kind of just touched on it there, is it was a desire for wealth. So this story gets told a lot of times that the Crusaders were all these bored second sons. So like if you're a lord, you're a baron, you're a count, you're a duke or whatever, and you've got like five sons, and the first son is going to inherit the dukedom and become the next duke or something. Right. And then you got number son number two, three, four, five. They, there's nothing for them to do, right? Because right. they're not going to inherit anything. So you had all these like bored second sons in Western Europe, and they're like, well, we'll go over and make our fortune in the Holy Land. Okay, sure. Now, this is a myth pretty deeply ingrained in this. There's two couple things wrong with it. Number one is there really wasn't much wealth there. Right. Now, if they went into some fort or some ter- town, was there the typical kind of pillaging and this and that? Well, that right. was part of medieval war, I'm sure. But it never paid for how expensive it was from the go. I mean, think about what it was to mount a campaign to go all the way from France. Right. To there, they, there were uh, legendarily, not legendarily, but you know, monumentally, people like the Venetians, the the people in Venice, yep. got rich supplying ships to ferry French right. and English knights over to the Holy Land because you needed ships and boats and this, and you had to carry your horses and all your right. stuff. And then the other problem with that notion is number one, there wasn't a lot of money there. Number two, is that we have records. You can go back. And see the financial records of the Crusades. And most of these guys went broke or it was a huge financial burden to them. So if you were the count of something or the baron of something or the duke of something, and you were going to take all of your war horses and a bunch of your guys and all of this, and you're going to mount this massive thing to travel halfway across the known world at the time at your expenses, you never recovered anything. Most of these guys saw it as an idealistic campaign. They saw it as a religious pilgrimage. They saw it as an act of, many of them wrote as an act of penance. They were doing something that they thought was right for God and it cost them dearly. Like, I mean, in terms of their financial costs, they they borrowed money to go on these things. They never recovered. So there was never this sense of, of the money. Another myth that, you know, gets thrown out about them is that they were, sort of brutally slaughtering civilians all the time. So let's be clear. Medieval warfare was brutal, but so is modern warfare. Right. World War II, anybody? World War One, right. Vietnam, Afghanistan, right? right? War is brutal. And medieval war, 
could be particularly brutal because more people died of disease yeah. and, and a siege of... It's one thing when we have uh, predator drones dropping bombs, right. that fe- which feels somewhat antiseptic. Right. Or we have a bomber dropping a bomb on Hiroshima or right. Na- Nagasaki. It's another thing in, in the technology of that day where they had to go right. in armed with bladed weapons and right. and subdue cities. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat that medieval war was was a hard and right. brutal yeah. thing. But this whole notion that they went over and sort of wholesale slaughtered civilians is crazy. There are just as many recorded instances of the Turks on the other side slaughtering Christians or Jews, right. particularly the, the, the Palestinian Christians, the people who had been there for 700 years. And, and there were notions, examples of the Crusaders, like besieging a town or a fort. And then right. there's afterward, after it falls, there's brutality. But honestly, uh, I'm not going to say that Crusaders never engaged in that. But really, when you look at the totality of it, a lot of it was somewhat defensive. In other words, they, they built these Crusader forts and these Crusader castles, and they tried to defend the pilgrims, and they fought back raiders on the pilgrims and right. these things. And there really weren't that many of them. The other thing is when you go and look at the Crusader forts, there, there were only a few thousand of these Crusader knights that were in the Holy Land mm. at any one time. They were very good fighters and they built very good forts. But yeah, they did go and build some forts and they did take back those spaces and they did try to defend them. And there was uh, bloodshed on both sides, but it really wasn't the kind of wholesale... Right. genocidal slaughter that people make it out to Well, be. the thing is, the, the picture is of these uh, 500,000 knights riding into into Turkish lands or whatever and just killing everybody, raping and pillaging and all in the name of God. And that's the thing. That's Those are the images that, that, that come up when I hear people talking about this. Yeah. Like if we were to, <laughs> maybe this stuff be another episode. If we were to look at, say, what the Spanish did in South America mm-hmm. or Mexico, where they came in the conquistadors <clears throat> yeah. and conquered the Aztecs or the, the Incas or whatever, then that's a whole nother conversation. But the Crusades weren't like that. It, it was not analogous to what the Spanish did to the New World. Okay, It, it just really wasn't. And there were some, and we could get into it because these things lasted over hundreds of years. And and there were incidents. There was the sack of Byzantium, which is a whole of Constantinople, which is a whole. Actually, when you you study it and you get into the details of it, it isn't what as much of what people think it is. Right. But look, I'm not going to say that there wasn't bloodshed and and right. warfare, but it was largely more a case of the crusaders coming over there to regain control and provide access to the holy land and there they maintained those crusader forts and that access for about 2 or 300 years and then they lost control of it again and so that's really the story a little bit of of the crusades in that way um did they have positive outcome actually there's a lot of cultural exchange because the West came over and there was a lot of interaction, especially with Muslims, not necessarily just the fighters, but the civilization over there. Yep. And a, there was a lot of exchange of 
documents and ideas and intellectual exchange that came out of the Crusades that was positive. And I guess the final thing I just want to say is that when you hear Protestants talk about this or you people talk about this, they say, the Catholic Church did X, Y, Z. And I think you have to rewind back to a time to, to realize that it wasn't the Catholic Church as such that was going and waging this war. It was Western European civilization doing it, and it yep. was heavily influenced by the church. But in many instances, the worst examples from the Crusades that people will cite, like they'll say, hey, when they took this city or they took this town, there was all this right. bloodshed and siege. Actually, the Pope excommunicated the Crusaders who did that, or the church tried to restrain it. Right. The original Crusades were, were called by the Pope who said, it's wrong that the holy places have fallen under. Right. We've lost access to the holy places. Right. And I call on, uh, I think we should have them. And then it's true that secular governments, knights, kings, whatever, uh, decided to take up this this cause. But it wasn't as if the whole thing was directed by the Catholic Church. It, it was the civilization. It was a very different time right and i think for the 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 my our protestant friends who who would point to something like that one might point to more recent history and one might say well what were we doing in iraq and afghanistan or what were we doing in world war ii fighting the germans or civilizations go to war yeah. And the motivations for those and how our religion and culture is wrapped up in that can be pretty complex. Yeah. Would we have fought some of those wars if we didn't have a sort of moral conscience that comes out of American Protestantism right. that says, hey, w we need to go do that? Did, did American chaplains accompany the soldiers on D-Day? Yeah, they did. Did the Catholic Church support Western European military forces as they as they try to regain control of right. Jerusalem? Yeah. Is this a crime of the Catholic Church to go commit genocide against Muslims? No. And I don't think that any and I've, I've been dealing with historians on this my whole since I was in college. I don't think that any serious historian of the period thinks that those myths are true. Even ones that are atheists or right. non-Catholic or whatever, don't like Catholicism, th these myths are just so pervasive and so sort of, it was a much more complex thing than than people understand, and a lot of these myths are really are just exaggerated. That's good stuff. I, as we, as I have delved into Catholicism, I've <clears throat> begun to understand that the period of time from, I don't know, from eight or nine hundred or a thousand A.D. up until the Renaissance and whatever, that the whole medieval Dark Ages thing is is just not what I thought it was at right. all. It's well, and and you know, too, let's go back to this <coughs> thing you were saying a little bit ago about your Protestant friends. I was watching a YouTube the other day, and I won't say the name of the pastor, but it was an extremely, one of the top Protestant pastors, evangelical right. pastors in America. 
and he was doing an interview about everything's wrong with Catholicism. And I, I guess I was just shocked with how ignorant he was. I think I saw some of that. He, he just was incredibly ignorant. Like he was saying stuff that you go like, this is like high school level misunderstanding. Like, right. and I, and I, and I actually found it really, really kind of shocking that a guy with that prominence who's written all these right. books and is on television yeah. and so famous and everything else that he would kind of go on an interview and sort of say things without having maybe even done like Wikipedia level research, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. You would just think if you were a big famous guy like that, before you would go on in some national interview, you would at least, I don't know, yeah. check Wikipedia so right. that you could just even see that some, whether some of the things you're saying are, are make any sense. Right. And he hadn't done that. And, and, where I want to go with this is one of the points he was making back to that was that, well, the Catholic church came along under Con Emperor Constantine in the three hundreds. Yeah, and go. then up until the Re the reformation, it was a state church and people were under the state church. And I bring this up because of the crusades thing, this right. notion that somehow the Catholic church ran Europe and right. ran the, the, the governments and everything was under control of the Catholic Church and right. the church was in league with the government. And then he said, of course, once the Reformation came along, that ended and people were free to follow Jesus of their conscience. And, and I'm thinking again, like, man, go on Wikipedia because the Reformation largely set up state churches, state Protestant churches. So yeah. let's take England. Right. Right. You have the Church of England. Right. Which to this day is headed by the current king or queen of England. So right, right now, King Charles is the head of the state church, and the right. Church of England is a state church. So what came out of the Reformation were these state churches, right? Church of England under Elizabeth and the subsequent yep. things. Uh, the churches in Scandinavia and Germany were state churches, right. church in the Netherlands. Talk about Calvin's Geneva. Yeah. So, right, the notion, and I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is there's these all these Catholic myths that somehow the Catholic Church is this nefarious thing that controlled everything, that manipulated everything, right. that Every ill of history was driven by and controlled by the Catholic Church, which was the, the puppet master pulling the strings right. in league with the government. And the, and the truth is there were, more, there, there were more wars, more brutality, more of this after the Reformation than there was before. Look at the worst wars in history. It weren't during yeah. the Middle Ages. They were after the Middle Ages. Yeah. The truth is, is that the Catholic Church exhibited some level of restraint. Yeah on the medieval governments and rulers. So there were rules for war. There were rules what people could and couldn't do. The, the issue is not, look how brutal medieval warfare was because of the Catholic Church. It's in a, in a brutal time in history, without the church exercising yeah. restraint in a moral conscience and holding people yeah. to account, how much more brutal would it have been? Right. And and you can find out because you can see once the Catholic Church loses influence and you start seeing yeah, here here's a here's a good example. So you can talk about let's talk about the slave trade. Okay. Okay. The slave trade really gets going after the Reformation. 
Yeah. There'd always been some slaves, but the Catholic Church exhibited or, or, or tried to control it as best it could. It didn't have total control. Right. Were there governments and places and some parts of the New World where they were enslaving people? Yeah, but the, the historical records, the Catholic Church tried to stop it as best it could. It didn't have total control. Right. But you know, the real transatlantic slave trade that was bringing people from West Africa yeah. up to the Americas wasn't run by the Catholic Church. Okay, and to yeah. the extent that anybody involved in it were from Catholic nations like Portugal or whatever, it was they were doing it in defiance of the church. So, look, history is complicated, and a lot of bad things have happened in history. But a lot of these myths, whether it's the Crusades or anything else, I, I, I think you have to dig a little deeper and find that. I'm not going to say that that at all times and all places the Catholic Church right. exhibited perfect civilizational control. But I think that the Catholic Church throughout history has been that force for good and ex- tried to exhibit a force for good in, in, in sometimes in very bu- brutal periods and chapters in history. It doesn't help that in every movie and every book, the Catholic Church is shown in the very worst possible light. Every cardinal, every bishop is shown as being corrupt. And they're just these big, these horrible wannabe ruler guys. And well, you, you, you just you hit it the nail right on the head, Ed. And that's how it's shown in movies. Because here's the thing, right? Like, I guarantee that ninety five percent, ninety eight percent, ninety nine percent of what most people think they know about the Middle Ages, for example, right? They got from movies, right? Like they've not read first, right? They, they they've they've not read documents. They've Right? right, they've not done done. Right, they, they haven't read from original sources. They haven't done this and that. They've not studied this. I, I, I sometimes I teach classes and I'll ask people to raise their hands, yep. and you say, "Who do we can tell me this, this, this?" What they have is they've seen some movies and TV shows, right, and their understanding of the Middle Ages, of the Crusades, of any of these things, of what the Catholic Church was like with these cardinals in the Middle Ages and these wars. And right. It comes from movies and TV shows. And Hollywood, that's where yeah. you got your information. And that's the, the level of data that you have. And, and, it's, and all of that was created by people who hate the Catholic Church. I was just going to say, and every, they never miss an opportunity to show the Catholic Church in a bad light. Or right. Christians in a bad light. I mean, you don't even have to go to the Catholic Church the way the Catholic Church is treated. Yeah. If you watch TV, every Protestant, um, or movies, every Protestant uh, person or minister is just this cardboard cutout. Yeah. I was, I was uh, watching Father Brown Mysteries. Yeah. And... And there, the guy who, there was a priest or an Anglican priest there, uh-huh. and he was just this dolt. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they never miss an opportunity. Yeah. So anyway, the Crusades. Yeah. There Thanks. That was good. All right. I got to jump into this. Okay. Good, Ed. Okay. Thanks. Bye.